19. Eries. Footnote. A drawing in red chalk. Also rubbed. Which stands in the original in the middle of this text. Seems to me to be intended for a sword hilt. Held in a fist. 691. Love. Fear. And esteem. Write these on three stones. Of servants. 692. Prudence strength. 693. Fame alone raises herself to heaven. Because virtuous things are in favor with God. Disgrace should be represented upside down. Because all her deeds are contrary to God and tend to hell. 694. Short liberty. 695. Nothing is so much to be feared as evil report. This evil report is born of life. 696. Not to disobey. 697. A fell tree which is shooting again. I am still hopeful. A falcon. Time. Footnote. I albero taliato. This emblem was displayed during the carnival at Florence in 1513. See the Zari VI. 251. Education and I 1881. But the coincidence is probably accidental. 698. Truth here makes falsehood torment lying tongues. 699. Such as harm is when it hurts me not. Is good which avails me not. Footnote. See Pi. LX. Number 2. Compare this sketch with that on Pi. Alexi. Number 2. Below the two lines of the text there are two more lines. Li Gucci Junchi Che Ritigo Li Paglu Col Palu Col Shelly Che Li Anigano. 700. He who offends others, does not secure himself. 701. Ingratitude. Footnote. See Pi. LX. Number 4. Below the bottom sketches are the unintelligible words. SDA still I. For ingratitude O. Compare also NOS. 686 and 687. 702. One's thoughts turn towards hope. Ornaments and decorations for feasts 703, 705. 703. A bird. For a comedy. Footnote. The biographies say so much. And the author's notes say so little of the invention attributed to Leonardo of making artificial birds fly through the air. That the text here given is of exceptional interest from being accompanied by a sketch. It is a very slight drawing of a bird without spread wings, which appears to be sliding down a stretched string. Leonardo's flying machines and his studies of the flight of birds will be referred to later. 704. Address for the Carnival. To make a beautiful dress cut it in thin cloth and give it an odoriferous varnish. Made of oil of turpentine and of varnish and grain. With a pierced stencil. Which must be wetted. That it may not stick to the cloth. And this stencil may be made in a pattern of knots which afterwards may be filled up with black and the ground with white millet. Footnote. Sir Giuliano. D.A. Vinci the painter's brother. Had been commissioned. With some others. To order and to execute the garments of the allegorical figures for the carnival at Florence in 1515-16. Vasari however is incorrect in saying of the Florentine carnival of 1513. Equali Padre di Leonardo. E Bernardino di Giordano. Bellissimi ingegni. size education boy. V.I. Page 251. 705. Snow taken from the high peaks of mountains might be carried to hot places and let to fall at festivals in open places at summer time. End of volume 1 The Notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci Volume 2 Translated by Jean Paul Richter 1888 XI The Notes on Sculpture Compared with the mass of manuscript treating of painting, a very small number of passages bearing on the practice and methods of sculpture are to be found scattered through the notebooks.
These are here given at the beginning of this section NOS. 706-709. There is less cause for surprise at finding that the equestrian statue of Francesco Sforza is only incidentally spoken of, for, although Leonardo must have worked at it for a long succession of years, it is not in the nature of the case that it could have given rise to much writing. We may therefore regard it as particularly fortunate that no fewer than 13 notes in the master's handwriting can be brought together, which seem to throw light on the mysterious history of this famous work. Until now writers on Leonardo were acquainted only with the passages numbered 712, 719, 720, 722 and 723. In arranging these notes on sculpture I have given the precedence to those which treat of the casting of the monument not merely because they are the fullest, but more especially with a view to reconstructing the monument, an achievement which really almost lies within our reach by combining and comparing the whole of the materials now brought to light, alike in notes and in sketches, a good deal of the first two passages, NOS, 710 and 711, which refer to this subject seems obscure and incomprehensible, still, they supplement each other and one contributes in no small degree to the comprehension of the other. A very interesting and instructive commentary on these passages may be found in the fourth chapter of the Zari's Introduzione della Sculpture under the title, Come si fanno i modelli per fare di bronzo li figure grandi e piccolo, e come li form per buttero, come si armino di ferri, e come si gettino di metallo, and see. Among the drawings of models of the molds for casting we find only one which seems to represent the horse in the act of galloping number 713. All the other designs show the horse as pacing quietly and as these studies of the horse are accompanied by copious notes as to the method of casting, the question as to the position of the horse in the model finally selected, seems to be decided by preponderating evidence. By El Cavallo dello Sforza, Ciboito remarks very appositely in the Saggio on page 26. Dove sembrare fratello al Cavallo del Cagliani, e assai di questo fos figlio del Cavallo del Gadamelato. I el quali per figlio di uno di i quattro cavalli chastivano for salorco di Neron in Roma, now at Venice. The publication of the Saggio also contains the reproduction of a drawing in red chalk, representing a horse walking to the left and supported by a scaffolding, given here on place LXXVI. Number 1. It must remain uncertain whether this represents the model as it stood during the preparations for casting it or whether as seems to me highly improbable this sketch shows the model as it was exhibited in 1493 on the Piazza del Castello in Milan under a triumphal arch, on the occasion of the marriage of the Emperor Maximilian to Bianca Maria Sforza. The only important point here is to prove that strong evidence seems to show that, of the numerous studies for the equestrian statue, only those which represent the horse pacing agree with the schemes of the final plans. The second group of preparatory sketches, representing the horse as galloping, must therefore be considered separately, a distinction which, in recapitulating the history of the origin of the monument seems justified by the note given under number 720, daily as a Maria Sforza was assassinated in 1476 before his scheme for erecting a monument to his father Francesco Sforza could be carried into effect. In the following year Ludovico I. L. Moro the young aspirant to the throne was exiled to Pisa and only returned to Milan in 1479 when he was Lord Governor of the State of Milan. In 1480 after the minister Seco Simonetta had been murdered, it may have been soon after this that Ludovico I. L. Moro announced a competition for an equestrian statue, 
and it is tolerably certain that Antonio del Palagiolo took part in it. From this passage in Vasari's life of this artist, E.S.I. Trovo, Dopo la morte S.U.A. Il disegno e modello che lodo vico sforza egli avina fetto par la statua e cavallo di Francesco Sforza, Duca di Milano, il quale disegno e nel nostro libro, in due modi, in uno egli hasado Verona, nell'altro, egli tutto armato, e sopra un basamento piano di badigli, fosaltere il cavallo adosso e un armato, ma lo condioni perch non metes questi disegni in opera, non hobbia potuto sapir. One of Palagiolo's drawings, as here described, has lately been discovered by Senator Giovanni Morelli in the Munich Pinacothek. Here the profile of the horseman is a portrait of Francesco Duke of Milan, and under the horse, who is galloping to the left, we see a warrior thrown and lying on the ground, precisely the same idea as we find in some of Leonardo's designs for the monument, as on place Alexvii, Alexvii, Alexvii. Alexix and Alexxii number 1, and, as it is impossible to explain this remarkable coincidence by supposing that either artist borrowed it from the other, we can only conclude that in the terms of the competition the subject proposed was the duke on a horse in full gallop, with a fallen foe under its hoofs. Leonardo may have been in the competition there and then, but the means for executing the monument do not seem to have been at once forthcoming. It was not perhaps until some years later that Leonardo in a letter to the Duke number 719 reminded him of the project for the monument. Then, after he had obeyed a summons to Milan, the plan seems to have been so far modified, perhaps in consequence of a remonstrance on the part of the artist, that a pacing horse was substituted for one galloping, and it may have been at the same time that the colossal dimensions of the statue were first decided on, the designs given on place Alexix. Alexxi, Alexxii, 2 and 3, Alexxii and Alexxii the end on pages 4 and 24, as well as three sketches on place Alexix may be studied with reference to the project in its new form, though it is hardly possible to believe that in either of these we see the design as it was actually carried out. It is probable that in Milan Leonardo worked less on drawings, than in making small models of wax and clay as preparatory to his larger model. Among the drawings enumerated above, one in black chalk, place Alexxii the upper sketch on the right hand side, reminds us strongly of the antique statue of Marcus Aurelius, if, as it would seem, Leonardo had not until then visited Rome, he might easily have known this statue from drawings by his former master and friend Veirocchio, for Veirocchio had been in Rome for a long time between 1470 and 1480. In 1473 Pope Sixtus IV had this antique equestrian statue restored and placed on a new pedestal in front of the Church of San Giovanni in Luterno, Leonardo, although he was painting independently as early as in 1472 is still spoken of as working in Veirocchio's studio in 1477. Two years later the Venetian Senate decided on erecting an equestrian statue to Colliani, and as Veirocchio, to whom the work was entrusted did not at once move from Florence to Venice where he died in 1488 before the casting was completed but on the contrary remained in Florence for some years, perhaps even till 1485. Leonardo probably had the opportunity of seeing all his designs for the equestrian statue at Venice and the red chalk drawing on place Alexxii may be a reminiscence of it. The pen and ink drawing on place Alexxii, number 3, reminds us of Donatello's statue of Gadamelotta at Padua. 
however it does not appear that Leonardo was ever at Padua before 1499. But we may conclude that he took a special interest in this early bronze statue and the reports he could procure of it. Form an incidental remark which is to be found in CA 145A, 432A, and which will be given in volume II under recordi or memoranda. Among the studies in the widest sense of the word made in preparation statue we may include the anatomy of the horse which Lomazo and Vass mention, the most important parts of this work still exist in the Queensley Windsor. It was beyond a doubt compiled by Leonardo when at Milan, only interesting records to be found among these designs are reproduced in NOS. 716a but it must be pointed out that out of 40 sheets of studies of the movements of the belonging to that treatise, a horse in full gallop occurs but once. If we may trust the account given by Paulus Jovius about L527 Leonardo's horse was represented as Viometer Institutus et Angelatus. Jovius had probably seen the model exhibited at Milan, but, need we, in fact, infer from this description that the horse was galloping? Compare Vasari's description of the Gadamelon monument at Padua, Agli Donatello vi ando ben volentieri, e fisi il cavallo di bronzo, che in salatiazza di San Antonio, nel quale aside di mostra lo sbuffamento ed il fremito del cavallo, ed il grandon in lo fieris of Ivaci Simamente espressa dell'ordi nella figura che lo cavalca. These descriptions, it seems to me would only serve to mark the difference between the work of the Middle Ages and that of the Renaissance. We learn from a statement of Sabadier Castiglione that, when Milan was taken by the French in 1499, the model sustained some injury, and this informant, who, however is not invariably trustworthy, adds that Leonardo had devoted fully 16 years to this work La Forma del Cavallo, in Tornoicoi Leonardo Aviasidici Anni Condini Consumati. This often quoted passage has given ground for an assumption, which has no other evidence to support it, that Leonardo had lived in Milan ever since 1483. But I believe it is nearer the truth to suppose that this author's statement alludes to the fact that about 16 years must have passed since the competition in which Leonardo had taken part. I must in these remarks confine myself strictly to the task in hand and give no more of the history of the Sforza monument than is needed to explain the texts and drawings I have been able to reproduce. In the first place, with regard to the drawings, I may observe that they are all, with the following two exceptions, in the Queen's Library at Windsor Castle, the red chalk drawing on place LXXVI number 1 is in the Nisiac number 7L2 and the fragmentary pen and ink drawing on page 4 is in the Ambrosian Library. The drawings from Windsor on place LXVI have undergone a trifling reduction from the size of the originals. There can no longer be the slightest doubt that the well-known engraving of several horsemen pass avant. Lee Painter Graver, Volume B page 181, number 3 is only a copy after original drawings by Leonardo executed by some unknown engraver, we have only to compare the engraving with the facsimiles of drawings on place LXV. Number 2. Place LXVII. LXVII and LXIX which, it is quite evident, have served as models for the engraver. On place LXV number 1, in the larger sketch to the right hand, only the base is distinctly visible. The figure of the horseman is effaced. Leonardo evidently found it unsatisfactory and therefore rubbed it out. The base of the monument the pedestal for the equestrian statue is repeatedly sketched on a magnificent plan. In the sketch just mentioned it has the character of a shrine or edicula to contain a sarcophagus. 
Captives in chains are here represented on the entablature with their backs turned to that portion of the monument which more strictly constitutes the pedestal of the horse. The lower portion of the edicula is surrounded by columns. In the pen and ink drawing place LXVI the lower drawing on the right hand side the sarcophagus is shown between the columns, and above the entablature is a plinth on which the horse stands, but this arrangement perhaps seemed to Leonardo to lack solidity, and in the little sketch on the left hand, below, the sarcophagus is shown as lying under an arched canopy, in this the trophies and the captive warriors are detached from the angles. In the first of these two sketches the place for the trophies is merely indicated by a few strokes, in the third sketch on the left the base is altogether broader, buttresses and pinnacles having been added so as to form three niches, the black shot drawing on place LXVII shows a base in which the angles are formed by niches with pilasters, in the little sketch to the extreme left on place LXV, number one, the equestrian statue serves to crown a circular temple somewhat resembling Bramante's Tempietto of San Pietro in Monterio at Rome, while the sketch above to the right displays an arrangement faintly reminding us of the tomb of the Scaligers in Verona. The base is thus constructed of two platforms or slabs, the upper one considerably smaller than the lower one which is supported on flying buttresses with pinnacles. On looking over the numerous studies in which the horse is not galloping but merely walking forward, we find only one drawing for the pedestal, and this, to accord with the altered character of the statue, is quieter and simpler in style place LXXIV. It rises almost vertically from the ground and is exactly as long as the pacing horse. The whole base is here arranged either as an independent baldachin or else as a projecting canopy over a recess in which the figure of the deceased duke is seen lying on his sarcophagus, in the latter case it was probably intended as a tomb inside a church. Here. 2. It was intended to fill the angles with trophies or captive warriors. Probably only number 724 in the text refers to the work for the base of the monument. If we compare the last mentioned sketch with the description of a plan for an equestrian monument to Gian Giacomo Trivolzio number 725 it seems by no means impossible that this drawing is a preparatory study for the very monument concerning which the manuscript gives us detailed information. We have no historical record regarding this sketch nor do the archives in the Trivolzio Palace give us any information. The simple monument to the great general in San Nazaro Maggiore in Milan consists merely of a sarcophagus placed in recess high on the wall of an octagonal chapel. The figure of the warrior is lying on the sarcophagus, on which his name is inscribed, a piece of sculpture which is certainly not Leonardo's work. Gian Giacomo Trivolzio died at Chartres in 1518 only five months before Leonardo, and it seems to me highly improbable that this should have been the date of this sketch, under these circumstances it would have been done under the auspices of Francis I but the Italian general was certainly not in favor with the French monarch at the time. Gian Giacomo Trivolzio was a sworn foe to Ludovico I. El Moro, whom he strove for years to overthrow. On the 6th September 1499 he marched victorious into Milan at the head of a French army. In a short time, however, he was forced to quit Milan again when Ludovico I. El Moro bore down upon the city with a force of Swiss troops. On the 15th of April following, after defeating Lodovico at Navarra, Trivolzio once more entered Milan as a conqueror, but his hopes of becoming governor of the place were soon wrecked by intrigue. This victory and triumph, historians tell us, were signalized by acts of vengeance against the dethroned Sforza. 
and it might have been particularly flattering to him that the casting and construction of the Sforza monument were suspended for the time. It must have been at this moment as it seems to me that he commissioned the artist to prepare designs for his own monument, which he probably intended should find a place in the cathedral or in some other church. He, the husband of Margherita di Nicolino Cagliani, would have thought that he had a claim to the same distinction and public homage as his less illustrious connection had received at the hands of the Venetian Republic. It was at this very time that Trivolzio had a medal struck with a bust portrait of himself and the following remarkable inscription on the reverse, Deo e Fabia di 1499 in the library of the Palazzo Trivolzio there is a Miz of Calimashu's Sicilers written at the end of the XBDH or beginning of the Svith century. At the beginning of this Miz there is an exquisite illuminated miniature of an equestrian statue with the name of the general on the base, it is however very doubtful whether this has any connection with Leonardo's design. NOS 731-740, which treat of casting bronze have probably a very indirect bearing on the arrangements made for casting the equestrian statue of Francesco Sforza. Some portions evidently relate to the casting of cannon. Still, in our researches about Leonardo's work on the monument, we may refer to them as giving us some clue to the process of bronze casting at that period. Some practical hints 706, 709, 706, of a statue. If you wish to make a figure in marble, first make one of clay and when you have finished it, let it dry and place it in a case which should be large enough, after the figure is taken out of it, to receive also the marble, from which you intend to reveal the figure in imitation of the one in clay, after you have put the clay figure into this said case, have little rods which will exactly slip into the holes in it, and thrust them so far in at each hole that each white rod may touch the figure in different parts of it, and color the portion of the rod that remains outside black and mark each rod and each hole with a countersign so that each may fit into its place. Then take the clay figure out of this case and put in your piece of marble, taking off so much of the marble that all your rods may be hidden in the holes as far as their marks, and to be the better able to do this, make the case so that it can be lifted up, but the bottom of it will always remain under the marble and in this way it can be lifted with tools with great ease. 707. Some have erred in teaching sculptors to measure the limbs of their figures with threads as if they thought that these limbs were equally round in every part where these threads were a wound about them. 708. Measurement and division of a statue. Divide the head into 12 degrees, and each degree divide into 12 points, and each point into 12 minutes, and the minutes into minims and the minims into semi-minims. Degree point minute minim. 709. Sculptured figures which appear in motion. Will in their standing position, actually look as if they were falling forward. Footnote, figure di rilieva. Leonardo applies this term exclusively to wholly detached figures, especially to those standing free. This note apparently refers to some particular case, though we have no knowledge of what that may have been. If we suppose it to refer to the first model of the equestrian statue of Francesco Sforza see the introduction to the notes on sculpture this observation may be regarded as one of his arguments for abandoning the first scheme of the Sforza monument, in which the horse was to be galloping see page 2.
It is also in favor of this theory that the note is written in a manuscript volume already completed in 1492. Leonardo's opinions as to the shortcomings of plastic works when compared with paintings are given under number 655 and 656. Notes on the casting of the Sforza Monument 710, 715, 710. Three braces which bind the mold. If you want to make simple casts quickly, make them in a box of river sand wetted with vinegar. When you shall have made the mold upon the horse you must make the thickness of the metal in clay. Observe in alloying how many hours are wanted for each hundred weight. In casting each one keep the furnace and its fire well stopped up. Let the inside of all the molds be wetted with linseed oil or oil of turpentine. And then take a handful of powdered borax and Greek pitch with aqua vitae. And pitch the mold over outside so that being underground the damp may not damage it. To manage the large mold make a model of the small mold. Make a small room in proportion. Make the vents in the mold while it is on the horse. Hold the hoops in the tongs. And cast them with fish glue. Weigh the parts of the mold and the quantity of metal it will take to fill them. And give so much to the furnace that it may afford to each part its amount of metal. And this you may know by weighing the clay of each part of the mold to which the quantity in the furnace must correspond. And this is done in order that the furnace for the legs when filled may not have to furnish metal from the legs to help out the head. Which would be impossible. Cast at the same casting as the horse the little door footnote. The importance of the notes included under this number is not diminished by the fact that they have been lightly crossed out with red chalk. Possibly they were the first scheme for some fuller observations which no longer exist, or perhaps they were crossed out when Leonardo found himself obliged to give up the idea of casting the equestrian statue. In the original the first two sketches are above L1, and the third below L9. 711. The mold for the horse. Make the horse on legs of iron, strong and well set on a good foundation, then grease it and cover it with a coating leaving each coat to dry thoroughly layer by layer, and this will thicken it by the breadth of three fingers. Now fix and bind it with iron as may be necessary. Moreover take off the mold and then make the thickness. Then fill the mold by degrees and make it good throughout, encircle and bind it with its irons and bake it inside where it has to touch the bronze. Of making the mold in pieces, draw upon the horse. When finished, all the pieces of the mold with which you wish to cover the horse and in laying on the clay cut it in every piece, so that when the mold is finished you can take it off, and then recompose it in its former position with its joints. By the countersigns, the square blocks of B will be between the cover and the core, that is in the hollow where the melted bronze is to be, and these square blocks of bronze will support the intervals between the mold and the cover at an equal distance, and for this reason these squares are of great importance. The clay should be mixed with sand. Take wax. To return what is not used and to pay for what is used. Dry it in layers. Make the outside mold of plaster. To save time in drying and the expense in wood. And with this plaster enclose the iron's props both outside and inside to a thickness of two fingers. Make terracotta. And this mold can be made in one day. Half a boatload of plaster will serve you. Good. Dam it up again with glue and clay. Or white of egg. And bricks and rubbish. Footnote. See place LXXV. The figure, 40, close to the sketch in the middle of the page between lines 16 and 17 has been added by a collector's hand. In the original, below line 21, a square piece of the page has been cut out about 9 centimeters by 7 and a blank piece has been gummed into the place. Lines 20 to 24 are written on the margin. L27 and 28 are close to the second marginal sketch. 
L42 is a note written above the third marginal sketch and on the back of this sheet is the text given as number 642. Compare also number 802. 712. All the heads of the large nails. Footnote. See place LXXVI. Number I. This drawing has already been published in the Saggio dello Pier di Vinci. Milano 1872. Place XXIV. Number I. But, for various reasons I cannot regard the editor's suggestions as satisfactory. He says, Vego ansili armature di leg name cole quali force ven sostenuto il modello. Quando parli nasa di Bianca Maria Sforza con Massimiliano Imperatore. Esso fu collocato sotto un arco triunfale davanti al castello. 713. These bindings go inside. 714. Salt may be made from human excrements. Burdered and calcined. Made into a lease and dried slowly at a fire. And all the excrements produce salt in a similar way and these salts when distilled. Are very strong. Footnote. Vasari repeatedly states, in the fourth chapter of his Introduzione della Sculptura, that in preparing to cast bronze statues horse dung was frequently used by sculptors. If, notwithstanding this, it remains doubtful whether I am justified in having introduced here this text of but little interest, no such doubt can be attached to the sketch which accompanies it. 715. Method of founding again. This may be done when the furnace is made strong and bruised. Models for the horse of the Sforza Monument 716-718-7L6. Messer Galeazzo's Big Genet 717. Messer Galeazzo's Sicilian Horse. 718. Measurement of the Sicilian Horse The Leg from Behind. Seen in Front. Lifted and Extended. Footnote. There is no sketch belonging to this passage. Galeazzo here probably means Galeazzo di San Severino the famous captain who married Bianca the daughter of Ludovico I.L. Moro. Occasional references to the Sforza Monument 719-724. 719. Again, the bronze horse may be taken in hand, which is to be to the immortal glory and eternal honor of the happy memory of the prince your father, and of the illustrious house of Sforza. Footnote, the letter from which this passage is here extracted will be found complete in section XXI. See the explanation of it. On page 2. 720. On the 23rd of April 1490 I began this book. And recommenced the horse. 721. There is to be seen. In the mountains of Parma and Piacenza. A multitude of shells and corals full of holes. Still sticking to the rocks. And when I was at work on the great horse for Milan. A large sack full of them. Which were found thereabout. Was brought to me into my workshop. My certain peasants. 722. Believe me, Leonardo the Florentine, who has to do the equestrian bronze statue of the Duke Francesco that he does not need to care about it, because he has worked for all his lifetime, and, being so great a work, I doubt whether he can ever finish it. Footnote, this passage is quoted from a letter to a committee at Piacenza for whom Leonardo seems to have undertaken to execute some work. The letter is given entirely in section XXL. In it Leonardo remonstrates as to some unreasonable demands. 723. Of the horse I will say nothing because I know the times. Footnote. This passage occurs in a rough copy of a letter to Ludovico I.L. Moro. Without date see below among the letters. 724. During ten years the works on the marbles have been going on I will not wait for my payment beyond the time. When my works are finished. 
Footnote, this possibly refers to the works for the pedestal of the equestrian statue concerning which we have no farther information in the NSS. See page 6. The project of the Trivulzio Monument. 725. The monument to Messer Giovanni J.A.C.O.M.O.D.A.T.R.E.B.U.L.C.O. Cost of the making and materials for the horse. Footnote, in the original. Lines 25, 12, 14, 33, 35, are written on the margin. This passage has been recently published by Gigoli in Volume V. Seer, 3A, of Transity, Reali Academia di Ilinia, said, Del 5 Juno, 1881, with the following introductory note, Desidero in until Chasiano stampa ti questi polci framidi perch so chasono stabi trascredi ultimamente. Either no missi in lustra poco fuori d'Italia, li Republicae Tircive Wale, Marsi Sapia Almanoche and Tra and Oliasi Conasabano, Eserin Racolti de Ani Tor Comporn, Quando Che Foss, Una Edizione Ordinata di Liscredi di Leonardo, the learned editor has left out line 22 and has written 3 pi 4 a pi d in line 25. There are other deviations of less importance from the original. A courser, as large as life with the rider requires for the cost of the metal, duke, 500, and for cost of the iron work which is inside the model, and shark, 